Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and I'm the man who, at the moment, has the 100-day cough. So I apologise for my voice. Still, never mind, we'll persevere. My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing that they'd like to bury and forget. My guest in this episode is the comedian, actor, and writer, Huge Davis, who, with his confident stage presence, dark humor, surreal material, and his one-of-a-kind customized keyboard strapped to the front of his body, Huge has quickly risen to become one of the most unique acts in the UK. After reaching the finals of the Leicester Square Comedian of the Year, Amused Moose New National Comic Award, Hackney Empire New Act of the Year, and the Musical Comedy Awards, Huge debuted his first show, The Car Park, at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2019. It was a complete sellout. It received multiple five-star reviews and an Edinburgh Comedy Award nomination for Best Newcomer. The show transferred to the Soho Theatre and was featured as Time Out's number one show to see in London. It was given three extra extra runs following excessive demand and has been filmed by the LA-based production company 800 Pound Gorilla Records and has been released as a special. Huge appears regularly on television, including his own Channel 4 sitcom, The Artists, which he created, wrote and starred in, as well as appearances on 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown, Harry Hill's Club Night, Roast Battle, Jules Holland, Hypothetical, Jonathan Ross's Comedy Club, Live at the Comedy Store, Comedians Giving Lectures and The Stand-Up Sketch Show. Huge performs both in the UK and internationally. He's also supported Phil Wang and Joe Lysett on their national tours. Huge has worked as a writer for Nevermind the Buzzcops and Famalam, and is a regular performer on BBC Radio 4's The Now Show. He also co-hosts the live podcast The Film Quiz with the brilliant Nick Helm. So let's find out what the unique Huge Davis will choose to put in his time capsule. 
You do a podcast with Nick, don't you, with Nick Helm? Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's not even, <laughs> sometimes that's not even a proper podcast. I mean, <laughs> like, we had to stop because I think the producer just stopped <laughs> calling us. We were like, oh, when's the next episode? Uh, and then we're like, we just haven't got in touch. And no. then I think it was just a bit of a disaster. I think that's what, that's why you shouldn't let people pick who they do a podcast with. Yeah. Because you, you want to pick um, someone who will make the podcast more chaotic and more interesting. Mm-hmm. But then the producer will always want someone that, maybe someone that can move the podcast along. and yeah, sort of a, like an interviewer. Yeah. Here I am. Yeah, here you are. This is my job. Yeah. But who knew? Honestly, Huge. I, I, and I love the fact that you're called Huge. Did you do yeah. that because there was another Hugh Davis? Or did you think, actually, this is quite funny? No, I, no, not, not for that reason. I started in my last year of university and I, I kind of, because I, I knew I'd be bad at it because I'm bad at everything. <laughs> in my head, like stand up is you go to the venue and then your name's like in big lights outside the building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, in my head, I just was like, oh, well, people will know um, mm. that I'm doing it and then people will come. And I had the thing in my head of being like, at first it was embarrassment. I was like, I don't want people to come see me. And then also, <laughs> it was like a mix of things. Like I went on as Huge, which was just my nickname. I had mm. at school, people just called me Huge because it was similar to Hugh. Yeah. And then I was doing the gigs and it was, I, no one knew me. And then after a while, I was gigging with some people whose friends always came and they would always say they were good, but they're actually rubbish. <laughs> yeah. But that's what happens if you have good friends. Yes, um, they support you forever. Yeah, a best mm. friend will tell you you're really bad. Like a best mm-hmm. friend will be like, that boy you're going out with or a girl is, is like a is like a piece of work and you should go out with them. <laughs> but a good friend will never say that. A good friend will just be like, well, I wish the best for you. But mm-hmm. like I had, I didn't have strong enough friends at that point to be like, what you're doing is insane. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you do hope though, eventually you'd just be able to put huge up. Well, like Beyonce, I just had the one, the one name. That's it. Just the one name. I yeah. think that's where you're aiming. Yeah. And why not? Why not aim there? Yeah. I mean, honestly, huge. I watched because I, I didn't really know your work terribly well, and I watched you with Harry because I, I know Harry Hill, and and it was very funny. Yeah, he's it made great. Made me laugh a lot. Yeah, he's great. He's a fabulous man. Yeah, he's wonderful. I love him so much. He's the best. Do you think he wrote that little poem that you did together because he thought I really like his work? I'm going to join in with him. I think there was a version that he'd done before, right? And then, so literally, maybe like one week before filming. He was like, do you want to just play it with me? And I was mm. like, well, well obviously. Of course. Of, yeah. of course I do. So, yeah. <laughs> that piece is actually, the piece that I'm playing in that, it's actually really hard, but it's one of those pieces that sounds really easy, but yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. And also especially hard to do when Harry's like next to you, doing what he's doing, and then also <laughs> like for TV, and then also standing up at the same time. So like I was, I'm playing the song in that quite badly, but it's because... <laughs> Harry was like, go far, go on, do it faster. Come mm. on, can you go, we need to move it along. And I was a bit like, um, I'm not, I'm not that good at the piano. <laughs> I'm not a classical pianist. I'm yeah. doing my best. The yeah. thing is, I actually used to be, I used to be right. a classically trained pianist, but then I just, because I was forced to do it as a child, mm-hmm. I was like a little prodigy. As soon as you, you don't have to do it anymore. It's like, you know, when you learn French at school, and yeah. then you just, you're taking, the, you're making fun of your teacher <laughs> all the way through. And then as soon as you leave and you go to France, you're like, I wish I'd learned French. And you're like, no, I had the opportunity every single day. Yeah, like I could have done seven that. years. Like I had, there was someone in there desperately trying to teach me French. Yes, and you just, <laughs> yeah. I was so terrified of my French teacher that sometimes I, I struggle to remember good morning. 
Oh, really? When I'm in France. I mean, really, as I approach it, I, f- I feel the terror rise in me. <laughs> it's a terrible thing, What isn't was it? your French teacher doing that was so terrifying? Well, he beat us constantly. Oh, well, that would probably do it, yeah. That I would forgot, do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. I forgot about that you guys got beaten. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely crazy. Crazy world. What's your reflection on that, being beaten at school? Um, it taught me how to avoid it. Okay, fine. Which is useful. So like a fear state notion, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> that I've discovered that I could deflect things. And it, it's been useful in situations, in bars and things like that. I'm quite good at just suddenly flipping things so that people forget that they were getting angry. Yeah, and don't beat you. And yeah. don't beat me up. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. That's probably why I guess beaten up so much, because maybe I needed more of it at school. <laughs> of course, I'm not arguing that, in fact, it would be a good thing to start beating children in school again, just for that. It's okay. You can say what you... It's a free speech podcast. It's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think people have followed for long, though. I feel like my dad would want to see it back. He would never say, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a vibe about him that he maybe wants it back. <laughs> right. Okay. But there we yeah. are. Uh, now, so I watched that, but I also watched artists, and I watched the first one, and I was so hooked, and I was so disappointed when it ended. Oh, cool! When I watched the final one, yeah. And what a great team of people! They were all really good at doing it. Yeah. So they were great. I kind of wanted to make a because by that point, I'd done a few bits of TV, and as you know, if you do anything on TV, it's all very even stuff like comedy is very scripted mm. if you're doing stand-up on tv you have to submit a script you can't yeah. go off the script really and i always find that in the tv recordings that i do the things that are kind of happening randomly or like in the moment that yeah. happen at normal gigs every single day that you mm-hmm. would do never make it into the cut but those are the bits when people are showing like their skill right it's a skill yeah, quite, yeah and it's the funnest part that's why um on instagram so many clips of crowd work are really popular because they feel really in the moment they feel like real they feel like mm. in the room moments that can only happen for the audience right yeah and i was like well i want to do a show in which it's like a lot of it was improv so i picked lots of people that i knew were great when they're just sort of reacting yeah. off their own instincts and really good like physical kind of comedians so that when we were in the space and I was like, well, so you, you're going to go out and do, um, you're going to be an escape artist. <clears throat> You've got like half an hour to lock yourself up in a box. <laughs> Just do whatever you think is funniest in that in those moments. And so when you're seeing the performances, that's pretty much everyone is just doing, there's no direction. I just say, go away. And you just think of something to do in that moment. I've given you the beginning and the middle and the end of what should be in that scene. And you just do that. Mm. And so they would, so like poor Neil, for example, Neil would just go into the square and just put himself, lock himself in a box about seven times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, and then also the dialogue as well, like, because we, we're all friends as well. Like, we all, I know everyone in that sitcom really well. Right. So it's like, we would do one take of the script that I written and then we would do like one version where we would just like kind of improvise it. As long as you have an end, uh, mm. you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I picked everyone very carefully for that one. Yeah, I mean, they had the fantastic skill of being able to improvise vocally, but they also had that brilliant skill of knowing where to shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there are scenes where people just sit on the bench 
and just watch. But you can see them looking, thinking, I don't agree with any of this. <laughs> Should I say something? No, I'm not going to say yeah. anything. And you can see all that going on in their head. It's really yeah. great, great stuff. Well, thanks. No, I loved it. And yeah. uh, I watched it on Channel 4. So you can get it on more 4, can't you? Yeah it's, on, four. yeah, it's on uh, all 4. Um, mm. I want to say 4 OD. I'm made to be saying all 4 because I, I hate it with the rebrand. I hate the rebrand of... <laughs> no. you know, they've renamed Sky 1 to Sky Max. What's yeah. the point? Just, what is the point? Everyone's just putting an X and everything. It's like Twitter. Like people, think, <laughs> I think executives think the letter X is just really cool. Like ITVX mm. and Max and... Is it like a sex? Is it like, does it in your head? Is it, is it sex? You're thinking of sex when you think of a big X and you're like, maybe we could make Poirot a bit sexier or something. Like, you know what I mean? And it doesn't occur to them that what it means is past. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's X. Yeah. For sure. That's, that's what I instantly think of when I look yeah. at that. And there's hardly anybody on Twitter who doesn't still call it Twitter. Yeah. But it's so confusing. It's just very confusing. I, don't, I, never, I never understand why you would rebrand anything. If I no. had a TV show and it was on Sky Max, I thought I'm ba- almost embarrassed to be like, oh, they're putting on the smaller channel that you haven't <laughs> heard of. You're like, no, they're putting on Sky One. It's Sky One. Anyway, never mind. Uh, yeah, you do wonder how much money the BBC have spent over the years redesigning the BBC. Oh, yeah, right, sure. Why? <laughs> yeah, I know. Just put the letters up. We know what they stand for. It's worked very well. People love it. <laughs> It's fine. That that's the only thing that needs to say the same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, it's absolutely fabulous. It's unusual to watch something and laugh out loud on your oh, own. Thanks very much. That's and I really did. That. We yeah. I went back there to the to we filmed it in Shoreham and I did a preview there mm. for my last show. And then there was like um a lot of people had turned up. Because we filmed it completely in secret, so no one knew that it was being filmed there. No. So people would come and people were heckling me in the gig. <laughs> about filming in their town because all there's lots of footage of random people yeah. just in the sitcom like like all the reactions you're getting are like genuinely people just like looking at us doing mad stuff <laughs> on the street so yeah a lot of people like in it and didn't really like know they were i mean you're meant to get signatures of every so everyone that has to be in it has to sign a release form mm. we kind of because we had like this runner who would just go out and everyone, they were just, we kind of lost track of who we actually got release forms from. <laughs> so we were sort of like hoping that we wouldn't get any calls in being like, can you take me out of your disgusting sitcom, please, where you're embarrassed, <laughs> embarrassing me in my hometown. Um, but luckily no one's ever written in. So no. kind of Who's, what's the name of the actress who does the fantastic Pearl Harbor improvisation? Oh yeah, Sinead. She did that oh. all by herself. I said it's, to her. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. I said to her, yeah, just do a one woman show. And then we picked like maybe three things she could have done. Interestingly, in that scene, we were doing that. And then on the, the day, because where Sinead's filming it, it's outside. You can kind of see it. There's like a war memorial there. Mm. And we were quite worried about that and the yeah. implications of what, because we, we weren't making a statement about Pearl Harbor or about the... Anyway, <laughs> it just so happened that day there was like a memorial day and the people were placing poppies down on the memorial. Right. And we were like... We don't want this to be a statement, but it's going to look like a statement because of the specific day it was. And we had a very short space of time to film her. It's all, you know, we only had three days to film the whole thing. So we had like a specific time for it. And it did feel like a hate crime when (laughs) neighbours doing this like ridiculous one woman show of Pearl Harbor whilst they're placing down the poppies. Yeah. In this small village, <laughs> you know. But the callbacks, um, the callback on the bench where she says, I've got this Japanese bit, and then she quotes it. You say, is that in the show? She says, yeah, yeah. And she said, are you going to do an act? She says, no, I, I was thinking, no, I don't think I will. And, and just the <laughs> good choice. 
Yeah, yeah. It's very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, I'm allowed to write those sort of jokes, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, you're li- if you're listening, I'm Asian. It's fine. Yeah, um, well, because as I know, you come from Singapore, Thailand. Uh, yeah, all of these places. <laughs> all yeah. of these other places. No Japan. one knows where I'm from. No one knows where I'm from. <laughs> and I'll never say. Um, I was very tempted to go through this whole thing and say, well, I'm here in Tunbridge Wells, and then every time I mention it, change the place. Yeah, sure. I, was, I, I think, think it's great. Th- throw your joke back at you. It really confuses people. I actually went on tour with <laughs> Phil Wang and he, and he was like, after about the fourth day, he was like, you got to stop this. Because he was in his show, he was, which is on Netflix now, he talks a bit about Malaysia. And by me just saying I'm from a different country every single time, he's like, you're kind of undermining <laughs> the sort of bit that I do afterwards, which is quite important to me. So I had to stop, I had to stop all that. Uh, it's a shame. Yeah. It made me laugh a lot. Oh, <laughs> uh, there we are. Uh, I've, I've poured my praise at you, which I think is uh, very much. only justified. I appreciate yes. it. Thank you. No. It's a lovely thing, actually, when you get somebody suggested to you, would you like to talk to this person? And then you sort of think, well, I don't know their work, and I didn't know your work at all. And, and I, I love stand-up comedy, so I'm delighted to have been introduced to it. It's, oh, it's quite unique. It's, um, it's fabulous what you do. People say that a lot. People say it's quite unique. And then sometimes I feel like sometimes people are saying it in a way, they go, it's very, um, it's two ways of saying, there's ways of, that you're saying and now you're like, oh, it's really unique. And then there's some people go, it's very um, unique. And I'm like, <laughs> just, just say you didn't like it, that's fine. Yeah, it's, um, it's sort of different, isn't it? Uh, in What do you mean in the sense that it's not funny? Yeah. Well, they, they go, they can't find a word. It's like, it's like it's trying to say <laughs> someone's, you know, your clothes are very, you know, interesting. Um, yeah, you know, or whatever. You know, that's the sort of thing that people say when they come backstage, and you've been in a really bad play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. The set was fabulous. I mean, what a great set! You were great in that play. You were so good. <laughs> you were the best thing in that play. I, I've got listen. I got a lot of friends who were struggling actors, and now are actors properly. But the number mm. of terrible players I had to go see <laughs> in you know my early twenties, I had to come and be like, "Oh man, sorry, I'm so sorry about this." Yeah. Did you want to go to the pub for drinks with the cast? Best not to maybe, because then I'll have to have this conversation 12 times in which I have to... Tell them that they were the only good thing in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I love stand-up so much, is because you don't have to do anything, you know... I've done a few little roles on sitcoms and things, and often I'm there and I'm like, a human would never talk like this, or this isn't as funny. Like, I'll just write a funnier version of it. And they go, well, no, you don't. You just write what's given to you. And I find that so weird, because mm. you just write for yourself, and you just... Mm. Because you, at this point, I sort of trust what I say is funny. Mm-hmm. So when you get to a set and there's like some director there who's just sort of like just, they're really busy, you're like, well, I can just take care of this. I'll just do my best for this, for my two lines that I've got. I can make the best out of that. And they're yeah. like, no, you have to follow the script. I find it yeah. very strange and quite alienating. Do exactly what you're told. Yeah, mm. very strange. Yeah. But um, when I say it's unique... I will also pay you this compliment that there are moments in it that remind me of Stuart Lee. So uh, that's just about the highest compliment I can pay, I think. Oh, thank you. That's nice. I, You know what? I, I didn't know that until cause I didn't really watch Stuart Lee. Right. And then there's a clip went viral on Facebook. It was the Harry Hill one, actually. Mm-hmm. And the, the most liked comment was, this is Stuart Lee. But yeah, and then I was like, oh, it is a bit like Stuart Lee, actually. Yeah, oh, that's so, brilliant that you developed it independently, not influenced by his performances. Well, I guess so. Yeah, of course. I, I was just a bit like, well, I guess it's just grumpy. Yeah, well, it is that it's thing just, of being annoyed yeah. with the audience that makes me laugh a lot. It's their fault. Yeah. You know, particularly if they don't laugh. 
It's, no. it's very handy when they don't laugh, I will say that. <laughs> I was saying to Nish Kumar a few days ago, he did my night. Um, I remember when we first gigged together, I was a very new comedian, and we both didn't do well. Mm. It was a charity gig, and it was just never really go well anyway. Mm. But he was saying that when he's doing, because he's quite a high-energy act, it was like he has to put more and more in. If it's going worse, he puts more and more and more in. But when you're <laughs> like me, it's like it's your fault. It's the crowd's fault because it's gone over their heads, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. It, this could be good if you were just smart enough to understand what I'm talking about, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very good. So lovely. So we're going to talk about five things you've chosen that you'd like to have in a time capsule and see what that reveals about you, if anything. Okay. Uh, maybe okay. even where you come from. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> I might find out myself. Um, <laughs> you just say, I come from Ballam, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, f- the first thing I want to put in is this... Um, so this actually existed, but then no longer exists. But it's a photo that I got taken of me at Thor Park. So I was recording this Radio 1 series with my friend Andy Field. It's called the Andy Field Experience. It's actually a really great sketch show. Mm. And we were recording it in Oxford somewhere. And we'd finished a day early. Um, we'd managed to record everything we needed to record. Andy was still there doing... He was the main guy in it, so he was doing lots. And they said, basically, well, you've got a free day. Mm. So we had a car, and then we were like, let's just drive to Thorpe Park. <laughs> and <laughs> and so we went to Thorpe. We were just having a great time in Thorpe Park. We'd not been in a long time. And then I got this phone call from my agent. and she, I picked it up, and she was like, are you ready for the meeting? I'm outside the building now. And I said, oh, God. which building are you at? And she said, Channel 4. You're at, we're at Channel 4 for the meeting for your sitcom. Oh, no. And I went, oh. And I was like, I hadn't just, I don't know what happened. Because I just... I don't know why it wasn't in my diary. It was definitely my fault. It wasn't my agent's fault. It was my fault. Something I'd done. I, I must have not put it in mm-hmm. because that's very me. I'm, not, I'm never going to blame my agent on something because she's so good at that. I'm like, no, yeah. it's definitely me. And then she was on the phone to me and I was trying to stall to try and think of something. I was trying to like, I can't make it because, and she was like, can I hear um, that children screaming? <laughs> and I was like, um, at this point, I was on the Rumba Rapids. <laughs> And it was like splashing. I was just trying to like keep it. Yeah, I'm at my grand's funeral. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's lots of children. So is, is it is it a waterfall? Is it sort of pushing them off the Niagara or something? And, and then we were going down and I was kind of like, and also she's never angry. She's like, she was the most lovely person. She's not my agent anymore. She was, she retired a few years ago, but she was the most lovely person. She was fuming because I was like, she's like, are you at Thor Park? Oh, like, Lord. I, I'm at Thorpe Park, yeah. And she was absolutely fuming. And <laughs> she was like screaming on the phone. And she was like, what are you doing? Like, we've got this, I put this meeting in. This is such an important meeting. Like, what am I going to say? I'm like, could you say I'm like doing a film or something? And that, that I'm not, I'm not at Thorpe Park. She was like, what do you fucking think I'm going to say? And then she hung up the phone. Oh, I was yeah. like, and then I was there on the right. And then like no one on the boat knew. So everyone was having a great time. I'm just having like a quiet conversation on the phone at this point on the Rumble Rapids. The photo that it takes when you go around the... <laughs> we came out and we like looked at the photo and it's like everyone putting their hands up, scribbling, getting like, I'm wet. And there's me just on the phone, just having an absolute breakdown. And I don't know why we didn't buy that key oh, photo thing. We should have done it. I think at the time I was you just so upset. You should have said it to your agent. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> I was genuinely very upset because I obviously want a sitcom too. Yeah. So I was also like, I think the chance has gone. Oh my God, I can't believe it. And my agent's just so angry at me. She's never been angry at me at this before. All my friends are like laughing at me. I wasn't going to be like, let's buy that as key ring. You know, 
I'd be had to be a psychopath to be like, mm-hmm. let's get the key ring. But like, I look back at that and I'm like, <laughs> someone should have bought a photo of me having an absolute breakdown. On <laughs> it's, like, it's like looking back at it, it's like the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh, God. It's the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? I think almost every performer has been through that that emotion of the phone ringing. And nowadays, of course, up comes the name of the agent and you think, oh, good, you never know. And uh, you go, hello. And they go, hello, where are you? (laughs) And it's that phrase when you suddenly go, it's like one of those where they zoom in on something in the background goes the other way. It's those moments, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. And you know there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Well, I think it's affected me forever because every time anyone rings me, I'm like, oh, no, what have I missed? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's more likely that I've missed something than, than something is good. And also, I was in such a safe space. I was in Thorpe Park. I was on my day off. I was there because I'd finished my work early. Mm-hmm. And then I st- still managed to miss a big chunk of work. And it was all my fault. <laughs> oh, one day of freedom where you don't yeah. have to worry about anything. Just have fun yeah. with your friends. And then I, we rescheduled the meeting and I went in to the meeting and I totally didn't even ask my agent what she had said I was doing instead. <laughs> so I was so nervous going in, they'd be like, so t- sorry, you can make a last Because I knew that was going to come up. Yeah. I think I said I was in a film, but I, I didn't. And they said, you're on a film? What, on the day your grand died? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I, I think I just bluffed. I just said, oh yeah, mm. we were just filming big Hollywood film. That kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. Just overran. There's absolutely yeah. nothing. I couldn't get out of it. I mean, I begged the director. Yeah. I begged him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, still not been a film yet, so they must be waiting for that film to come out. It's a big release date. That's what they're yeah. looking for. Yeah. It's um, Avatar 4. <laughs> they make they make them years in advance. You know, it's like a cooking program. Here's one we did earlier. You know. <laughs> um, oh, huge! Oh, God, I feel for you. Yeah. What a terrible thing to go through. But you're right to treasure it. I think. Yeah. Also, because I I went for a period after it happened to me, where I just put on so many alarm clocks and warnings, and I had things that constantly were telling me things coming up. <laughs> I've I've turned them all off now, so I'm getting a bit casual about it. So oh, it's yeah. about to happen again. Yeah, bound to. At least when it happens, you won't be in Thorpe Park on the Rubber Rapids, and it'll be photographed. <laughs> like I don't think anyone's ever been photographed missing like what at the time was the biggest opportunity of their life. Yeah, um, but <laughs> I just think it's also funny that it's also it's like not just a photo; it's like on a keyring. It's like, do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yes, you can carry it around with you. On your, I wish I I wish I got the keyring. <laughs> can you imagine yeah i guess i think it's funny every time you walk in the house you think should i be walking in this house or should yeah. i be at a meeting yeah <laughs> but yeah it's a sort of it's i'm putting in a photo that kind of doesn't exist anymore no but hopefully they would have kept it because there were people yeah. gathering around they were figuring out what was happening because we were just laughing so hard at the photo i wonder if nowadays that actually because people can store everything I wonder if those places actually do keep all the photographs forever. I imagine they do in in terms of like, you know, sometimes there'll be like a serial killer who's turned up to the theme park. They probably, I imagine that's a place a serial killer would go to blow off steam. And that, (laughs) or or like, you know, sometimes you get those people who get kidnapped and then they're like, oh, we want one day out. And it's like, they always go to a theme park or something. And that's where you get the photo from. (laughs) So you get people putting their hands in the air and one of them's wearing handcuffs. Yeah, it's like, yeah, they're trying, you know. And the person next to them's holding a knife. Got hell print on the tongue, you know, as they go down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Brilliant. Okay, well, that's the first thing then. That sadly lost photograph, yeah. but one that is seared into your brain, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's number two? Number two is my pair of grey Lonsdale shoes. So I have been wearing the same pair. So not the same pair. I, I'll rephrase <laughs> that. Um, the same shoes. Mm-hmm. I've been wearing the same pair of shoes that I keep rebuying for about 12 years, I'd say. Right. It's a classic design then. It's not even a classic. It's just a very boring shoe. It's a grey Lonsdale shoe. If you see me on TV or doing anything, if I'm not, well, if I'm standing or not doing count or anything, you can see I'm always wearing the same pair of shoes. And mm-hmm. it's become a bit of like a thing where like now I've done it for so long that now I have to keep wearing the same pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. I now think they're ugly. Um, <laughs> but now it's become a thing of which... I remember I was in Australia, I was doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival in Australia, and it rains a lot there, not like people think it would mm. in Australia, but I had a hole in the Lonsdales, so I had to get a new pair, but they don't sell them in Australia, so I had to get a new pair of shoes. I t- Honestly, I turned up, my friend Chloe Pertz, who I've known since the third day one of comedy, she saw me without the shoes, and she like she did a double take. She's got, she took a photo of them and sent them... <laughs> She put them in WhatsApp groups because it was so odd to see me not in a pair of grey Lonsdale shoes. Wow. And I've got literally, I've got maybe like 14 pair. I, kept, I keep them all. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about turning them into like an art thing. <laughs> an installation. Um, yeah. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why I keep buying them. I also, I never go into the shoe shop with the intention of buying them again. Mm. Well, maybe now I do because I don't have many clothes. I just wear the same thing all the time. Yeah, I'm so nervous about buying like new clothes because I'm like, well, this will just go. This will this will just out, be out of fashion. So I just buy the same things. So like <laughs> when I see a pair of shoes, I go like, well, maybe I hate that. Right. In four months, I go, well, just stick to the thing you always bought, and then no one will say anything. So it's not like I mean, I had a friend who decided that actually he only really liked black t-shirts, and then it looked quite smart if he wore a black suit with them. So he wore them every day and he had a wardrobe full of black suits and black t-shirts and that was it like dennis the menace yeah 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 just the same thing over and over yeah. again and to me actually i've always thought that that's quite a sensible decision i quite recently at a festival well this last summer at a festival i went into one of those second-hand tents it wasn't a second-hand tent it was a tent that sold second-hand trainers uh, for fantastically cheap prices i thought and for 30 quid i bought a lovely classic pair of adidas sort of maroon with three white stripes on the side that's all they were and i'd never owned a pair like it and i absolutely love them and then recently they fell apart and because it's a classic design i'm thinking that's it that's the shoe i'm going to buy and i'm going to wear forever yeah why wouldn't you i mean mm. i think that shoes you can't I think that you, you know, when you finish shoes. Huh. Hang on. That shouldn't happen. Sorry. Beg your right. pardon. It's your agent saying. It's my agent saying, where the bloody hell are you? Yeah, where's the, meet- <laughs> the meetings in Telford Channel 4's about to happen? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Yeah, I think shoes don't, I think they finish shoes. Do you know what I mean? I feel like you've done all you can. I saw those, <laughs> like Yeezys. I see those Yeezy shoes. I think they're the ugliest. They're like the most expensive shoes. Yeah. I don't know if you know Yeezys. They're the yeah. ugliest shoes I've ever seen in my whole life. They're so expensive. I don't know why anyone gets them. But basically what they've done, so in the back of your shoe, where your heel is, it's kind of straight. But mm. what they've done is they've made it long. So it's almost yeah. like a weird flipper out the back. Yeah. Yeah. It looks so insanely ugly. It makes your feet look so big. 
But those are like the newest iteration of shoes. And I go, well, we just, let's say we just finish shoes. It's like, it's like toothbrush advert yes. or shaver advert. They're like we put 15 razors in it <laughs> or like the toothbrush is double ended now. And it's got like a thing for your tongue and it's, it, you know, it goes to 3000 BPM and you're like, yes, toothbrushes just work. There's no need mm-hmm. to improve a toothbrush or, you know what? We shave now and it's fine. It works. <laughs> no one's finished a shaving me like I wish that was like three seconds less than it was neither though care <laughs> I can understand in the world of fashion that people go retrospectively and then occasionally somebody does something and you think well that's that's new and even still they can do that but you're right as far as shoes are concerned the designs of shoes are fundamentally that's it isn't it yeah I yeah. mean in fashion I've always thought when you talk about shaving I've always thought that the only thing that I've never seen anybody do People have shaved their hair on their face into all sorts of shapes, but nobody has ever just grown the hair on their cheeks independently of everything else. Oh, like a big blot. So you have two circles and you can grow them long, you know, so you have these sort of long (laughs) hangy things coming from your cheek. Nobody's ever done that. I mean, that sounds absolutely insane. And um, (laughs) that's the reason. But yeah, it sounds insane, but I think that a lot of facial hair is insane. So why wouldn't you? Exactly. Uh, Even you saying it, I'm almost like, I'm almost like feeling ill thinking about (laughs) that combination. But you're right. Like someone should have done it with all the combinations, with all the people in the world. It's like, you know, the the Ronaldo, the care cut where he has the, the front bit, everything's shaved apart from the front. Yeah. That's the equivalent of that, isn't it? You go, yeah. well, you did it, you do it once and then you go, maybe you tried that. Was that. A big mistake. But I feel like, feel like someone should do it. I can't do it because I don't have the hair that grows there. But no. I think someone should do it. It's a good idea. <laughs> They'd be shunned by society. I think. Actually, it's, it's quite disturbing, actually. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. You, would, you would say, oh, if you ever saw them at Thorpe Park, you'd immediately say, serial killer. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. It's like a black hole with hair coming out of it. Yeah. Really interesting. Lonsdale shoes, that's boxing, isn't it? Yeah, no reason mm-hmm. for me to. I, I should be far away. I'm, I'm the furthest away from Lonsdale. I, <laughs> I don't know if Lonsdale know that I keep wearing their shoes and promoting their products. <laughs> I get it all the time. I was with my friend Sally the other day. We were having a walk and she gave me a um, Kinder, you know, those hippo, Kinder hippo kind of mm-hmm. things. She said, I got, I got a, certain, a box of them because I mentioned them on stage. Wow, that's useful. It's an outrage. Yeah. <laughs> the, the number of times I've worn Lonsdale shoes, no one's ever. But I think it's because maybe I'm not part of the brand i think if you wanted to promote a boxing brand and then you, you, the person that was the main initiator of the product was a man wearing a keyboard on stage you know <laughs> i think yeah maybe maybe pull away from that right so your constant yeah. mentioning of ferraris doesn't work then yeah no yeah i'm always <laughs> no. talking about what i'm always mentioning my wife on stage that's what <laughs> might send me a wife <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Although I should imagine that Lonsdale shoes are very comfortable, aren't they? Surely. They are. They're great. I mean, mm. you're like, I think that's a very sensible thing to do. But like, I also know that this is like, talk to <laughs> anyone about this. It's like, I sound like the most boring man in the world. It, I meant to be like an exciting person, right? Like, a, I do like stand up for a living. And then it's like, what's one of the finest things that you put away is like, oh, the shoes that I never changed because I was too much of a coward to, to, to buy new shoes. <laughs> to even change their colour. Yeah. yeah exactly. And they're grey the as well. Yeah, I mean, all sorts of colours. Grey. Grey oh. Lonsdale shoes. Oh, well. And in past, ex-girlfriends have been very, like, it's been a big debate topic. have been like, you've got to change those shoes. <laughs> you can't. You can't go to Latitude Festival and this restaurant in the same shoes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you've got to have two different shoes. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah. You stick to your guns. Well, it's too late now, you see. You've created this image 
but but then again, you know, so did David Bowie. And yeah. he was able to go, I've thrown it away. I'm someone else now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess also if I put the shoes in, I've also got like, what, 16 other pairs of shoes. Yeah. So it's kind of fine. It's fine. The main thing about putting something in a time capsule is you don't have any more. I actually have 16 identical <laughs> copies of that thing that I threw in. <laughs> That's good. Lovely. Okay, huge. Let's put those shoes in there as the second thing. So what's number three? There you go. We're taking a bit of a break now, but what a lovely chap, eh? And fear not, we'll be back with him as soon as these ads are done. Cheers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back. That's the ads done, so let's get back to the delightful huge Davis and see what else he'll put in his time capsule. It's the video game The Witcher 3. So I'm, I'm not, like, huge into video games. Like, I do like them, though. And there's this one game that my friend was playing and I used to go around to his house. He used to be a photographer, but we used to hang out a lot because he would I'd help him on his projects. Mm. And he was playing this game called The Witcher 3. And it was one of those, you know, sometimes in your life, someone recommends you something and you go, well, yeah. I can't do that because then I won't, <laughs> I won't stop. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. Witcher 3 was one of those ones he was like, this is really up your street and you'll love it. <sighs> and I played a little bit and I was kind of a bit like... Eh. And then I bought it myself and like I, st- I mean, it's just, I think it's better than my life. <laughs> <laughs> I finished the, the game and I, I turn it off and I go, well, even if I'm doing like a really good gig in the evening, I'm like, I actually do miss my life in The Witcher 3. <laughs> <laughs> even when I'm peaking in my life. <laughs> so as you're wandering around, you're slightly imagining what you might be doing in there. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's 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 an incredible game. It's just like to describe it vaguely, you're you're basically sort of sexy Gandalf. Mm-hmm. And you're you're going around this magical land. Your job is to get rid of magical creatures that are like bothering towns. You basically walk around this big world map and you go to a different town. The whole thing is so well written. You talk to anyone in the game, they've got like a rich story and background and they'll have mm-hmm a ghoul or a monster bothering them in that town. And there's always like a rich law behind each of the monsters. And then 
it's, it's genuinely like a different, you're like in a different world. <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? It feels incredible. Mm. You can just play it forever. They just, it's so big and you can play it just forever. So like you go on a big quest and then you finish and then you turn it off and you're like, oh, I have to go in a car now, go on a train. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> but it's like, I understand that a lot of video games are like that. A lot of video games aren't getting on trains. And a lot of people think it's their favorite ever video game. I don't play that many video games, but it's the one that I always come back to. I've been playing it for literally six years, I think. Yeah. And I just have to start. It's the annoying thing about reading Lord of the Rings, isn't it? That you sort of think, well, I want to go somewhere else in that world. I want to experience the other bits that are going on that you pass through. I don't want to leave this place. Yeah, 100%. So now you have that opportunity. You can go back in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, Lord of the Rings, I, I watched the first film when I was young. Mm-hmm. I loved it so much, I immediately went home and I read Two Towers and Return of the King. Yeah. Because I wanted to be in that world. Yeah. So this provides that opportunity, though, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. And I, can... I'm, I'm slightly envious. I don't play games at all. I'm not sure I'd even know how to, you know, but I'd have to start right from the beginning of how do you walk, how do you move, all those yeah. things. Well, because I'm of the generation in which the PS2 generation, you mm-hmm. just you, you you don't have to worry about learning anything because you just no. it's just there. So yeah. any game that I could possibly play is like I already kind of know how to play it already. Because yeah, I watch my grandchildren do it. They pick the thing up and off yeah. they go. Yeah. Whereas I think, well, I wouldn't know how to turn it on. Yeah, I think that's because it's like I think my dad would really enjoy video games, but he's just like he just can't be bothered to learn. <laughs> no. But it's like, I think he would love it because he's got loads of time in his hands now because he's now retired and he's sort of mm. just like sort of pottering about. But I think he'd really like it. But That is slightly the fear though. I did once, just once get into a game, which was um, Football Manager. Oh yeah. Where I took on a, a third division team and slowly, slowly scouted all these other teams. I spent hours researching who the young players coming through in other clubs were, uh, making offers for them, bringing them in, training them playing games, oh, we'd lost, you know, oh, we should have won that game. And then changing the players and when to substitute. I became absolutely obsessed with being the manager of this fictitious club. Yeah. And I got them up to the premiership. And uh, How did you uh, feel when that happened? Absolutely elated. Unbelievable. <laughs> I remember playing Man United and beating them at Old yeah. Trafford. And it was as if I'd actually done it. And yeah. I, in the end, I had to really literally take the whole thing, take it off my computer, take everything I had with it and yeah. just put it in the bin. Yeah, people take it very seriously. Because I was spending my life being obsessed. Like you say, I was obsessed with, you know, uh, oh, there's that lad. I must go and see how he's doing at this, at his youth team. Yeah, but it's just a number on a screen, isn't it? It's just a name and a yeah. number. And you go, yeah, but you get start to feel attached. People take it very seriously for manager. I don't know if you heard about this, but there's like a, there was a thing about if you were playing the Champions League final, if you made it to the Champions League final, you had to wear a suit for the game. <laughs> it was like a, you had to do I it. I would have done it. Yeah. I would definitely yeah. have done you it. You had to put, put on the suit and you've got to, <laughs> you know, meet the press. Uh, uh, wow. But yeah, I think The Witcher 3 is like one of those things that, I, I guess there's so many video games out there and I guess every single one will be forgotten by time, I imagine, like, mm. because everything's just getting bigger and bigger and better and you just eventually just go, oh, well, the, you know. But I think The Witcher 3 is like a, is the best game that's ever been ever made, and I would put it into the time capsule. And I think anyone who sort of likes fantasy and quests and that kind of thing would love The Witcher 3. And I think mm. I spent so much time on it, and I have to put it in. I think it's great. Fantastic. We will put it in. I look forward to my grandchildren reaching the age where they move on from Roblox, which <laughs> I just don't get at all. I don't know what that is. What's, what's that? It's a, it's a game they play all the time. They love oh, it. Okay. But of course, it's a clever game because in order to go places or do certain things, you can buy things. 
And so it's a game where they're constantly saying, could you give me five pounds, granddad? And I say, why? They say, to buy something on Roblox. Clever. Well, clever for charging money mm-hmm. to children. Yep. I don't know how I feel about games that make you pay. I feel like you should pay a full price for the game and then that's yep. the game. Yeah, this does both. It's very clever. Okay. Anyway, fine. so yeah, let's move on to those. I will sit with them and watch them in that fantasy world. I'll be quite happy. Okay. I might, I might even become a little troll or something and just follow them around. Oh, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Do it. Okay, lovely. So what's number four? Number four is my keyboard. Mm-hmm. My keyboard, my, the first one that I made. Ah. Yeah. Was that a Yamaha? It was a Yamaha, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I forgot what model it was, but it was a Yamaha keyboard. I, I t- we'll take it everywhere. It's like, because yeah. I gig all the time mm-hmm. and I had to bring it with me for every gig I do. I don't gig without it. And it's just with me everywhere. And it has a lot of sentimentality. Also because I wasn't a very good comedian in the beginning. For those people listening, I basically wear a keyboard on mm-hmm. stage and it's got like a microphone attachment to it. And it's like like an ice cream vendor in the theatre at halftime. <laughs> yes. And, and it looks pretty stupid. But yeah, it's big and it's weighty and it does hurt me a lot. But I, f- I feel like it's a big part of the unique part of my act, which made mm-hmm. me like kind of stand out a bit and made me probably got me a lot of the work and the career that I've got now. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of quite symbolic of that. And I also, it's just like, I don't think any, no one, I've never seen it, anyone do this to a keyboard before. And I don't think I've seen anyone since do it, but it seems like a mad thing to not do. Mm-hmm. If people wear guitars <laughs> and bass, you know, bass guitars are just cellos, right? Yeah. And they carry around tubers and yeah. double basses. I mean, a double bass is an incredibly enormous thing to carry around. And yet people yeah. do. Yeah, and it's like, well, why wouldn't you do that with a keyboard? Yeah. And so I just did it. Because people wear a sling around their neck and they have it like different, so it's against their body. But mine's like as a as a piano would be, so just in front of you. Mm. Uh, up until now, if people played a keyboard, they played it on one of those guitar keyboards, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when I was making it, I was like, I can't believe no one's done this. <laughs> no. But it just seems really obvious to do it. And then also I, my dad helped me make it as well. So I like, we always like go back and try and engineer a new version yeah. of the keyboard and, and stuff. in fact if you just had it on a stand and you stood behind it with a mic coming up yeah that would really limit the act wouldn't it it's a very important thing to be able to take the whole thing right to the front of the stage yeah and in fact confront somebody personally that's a big part of your act is when you choose one person and go to them and say right i'm going to do it to you mate yeah i often get, come off stage and get in the crowd because mm. sometimes I'm doing theatres now in which there's almost normally a, a wireless mic in the room. Yep. So it means that I can go, because the keyboard is also on a Bluetooth. It is via Bluetooth. I can leave the stage. <laughs> and You could leave the theatre. I once did a show in Soho where I'd, <laughs> I'd forgotten something on stage. And then I was like, I need to go get something. And then I left the room with the keyboard and the mic. And mm-hmm. I went down a few floors to go get it. And I was still, I know I was still broadcasting upstairs. Yes. Um, and I thought, <laughs> I, I had the idea for a show in which I, I talked to someone about this tech-wise and they said it was impossible. But I wanted to do a show in which I started the show in the room and then I forgot something in my house. And then I went, <laughs> I went back to go get it. All the and way the home. crowd are still in the room. And then it's like, I do a shot. I do a big shot on the way home. <laughs> I'm in the supermarket and I'm just doing... And the idea of it was that I never have to hear how people like... I never have to know how the gig is going. No. It's like, because it's, it it's not important to me how it goes. 
And then I finish in my house and then I just, and then I just say goodnight. I say goodnight and then I'm just in my house by the end of the gig. Put a cup of tea on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's what a perfect way to finish a gig. But then I was told like technically it'd be very difficult to do that. And they were like, well, you could record it and you could just play a recording in the room. I was like, that's not the same. It has to be live. Mm. Mm. But I I still want to do that. I think it's a really interesting idea. It is possible to sort of fake it. Uh, Years and years ago, Tommy Cooper did something like that. And then Rick Mayle did it before he started his act on stage. He used to announce himself and then there'd be a pause and he'd say, oh, no, I'm in the wrong room. Sorry. Where where am I? And he would just speak into the microphone from the side of the stage as if he was, he said, right, I'm coming on now. Here, I found found it. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Mayle. I got him in. I'm in the street. That's great. And uh, that's great. And then he'd realise that he was at the wrong venue, and he'd pretend to get on a bus. And he said, "I'm on the bus now. I'm coming along. I'll be, I'll be about five minutes." And he'd talk to you while he was pretending to be on the bus. And then finally, he'd say, "Right, I'm at the theatre. Where's the stage door?" And it was really funny. And it would be about ten minutes. That's great. That's so funny. I love that. Paul Foot does a similar. I've seen him do a similar thing. I worked a bit with Paul Foot last year. Mm-hmm. I saw him do a lot of gigs. He introduces himself on stage. It takes him like fifteen minutes to go. <laughs> yes, he just he just keep he just keep introducing himself. Just keep describing himself. He's like the voracious Paul Foot, incredible. You're gonna love, absolutely love it. I'm gonna get to the stage right now, and he just keep going forever and ever and ever. And people just at this point get quite tired, and then. And then he somehow bring it back and everyone's just loving it. And you almost don't ever want to get on stage. And sometimes he'll come <laughs> on and do like literally one minute and then be like, that's my time. I'm poor for bye. <laughs> right. Yeah. The cyclical nature of the laughter in those sort of things, having yeah. the nerve to do it, to take it to the point where people stop laughing at it because you've done it too much. Yeah. And then it becomes funny again. Yeah. It's a joyous thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I use it quite a lot mainly because it kills a lot of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People go like, that's so interesting that you've done that. I was like, no, it's to, because I've run out of jokes, actually. It was come quite late in the day. It's mm. two days from August. I better just extend these jokes. That's <laughs> um, the point in which it gets so exhausting Yeah, that you have to find it funny eventually. Yeah. Even Clive Anderson, years ago, when he was in a, a review group as a young man, he used to announce the interval like that. So he'd say, uh, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, there'll be a short interval. That's it. Okay, and that'll be a slightly longer interval. Yeah. <laughs> he would just keep going and say, then there'll be a, what we'd like to call a pause. And it just keep, and the audience would sort of getting up and down in their seats for about five minutes. It's very funny. There was an act called Jordan Brooks who won the Comedy Award a few years ago. He had, mm. In his show that he won with, he would always, he'd do a little joke where he goes, that's all we've got time for. <laughs> but he would keep saying it. And then he would, he eventually he would just keep leaving. And then he'd come back in. And one time he just, he does it like, he fully leaves the stage and then the lights come on and the music starts up again. And people actually genuinely, he leaves it for like three minutes. People are getting up and leaving and then he comes straight back on and goes, oh, it's not actually over. <laughs> he, he actually recorded a special. It's on Amazon, the special of it. And he does it in there as well. People just fully just leave. Like Maybe, maybe like 20% of the audience go. <laughs> gone. Yeah, they're fully gone. And they, they're not allowed back in either. They're not allowed back in. No. So, yeah, so... I think he probably waits on purpose for, I don't know, I don't know if Jordan's watching, but he probably waits for people to leave because he finds it funny that you'd actually... In a way, that is the thrill of being a performer, is having the nerve to do something that could absolutely fall flat on its face. Yeah. And actually doing it and it working. Yeah, yeah. There's no greater thrill. Yeah. And, and you must have had that feeling the first time you walked on stage with that keyboard strapped to your body. Well, I'll tell you what, when I first did it, I was like, I hope this isn't funny because... <laughs> 
<laughs> then this will have to be my life, I guess. I have mm -hmm. to wear this goddamn thing for the rest of my career. And unfortunately, it worked really well on the first time I did it. And I remember the gig I did it in, it was like a gig in Dalston. And I remember I came on, I was like, ooh. And I was like, oh, this has got people's attentions in the oh, right way. God. What a shame. That's it. I'm stuck with it now. Now I'm stuck with it. And people are always like, you just put it on the stand. I'm like, yeah, but then nah. it'd be too easy, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite. <laughs> too yeah. easy. All you need to do is constantly petition Yamaha to put exactly the same facilities in it, the same buttons and ability of the yeah. people, but make it really light. Yeah, well, that's the problem is that I, I really want keyboards that are like, can do loads of different sounds and are yeah. really interesting. But the more expensive the keyboard and the more complex it is, the more heavy it is. So like, <laughs> when I get a new keyboard, I have to research it so carefully because I have to, the weight has to be wearable because I wear it for an hour. Yeah, quite. You know? I looked at how you, well, you have a strap around the shoulder, but you also have a sort of a, a thing that goes against your hips, like people do with rucksacks, but they have it the other way around, don't they? Yeah, so because if you if you hang it around your neck, it's just too close to your body. Like if you're mm -hmm. playing the piano, it's like a distance from your body, so you'd be sitting there. So I had to course, find yeah. a way of making it stick out from my body so mm -hmm. that I can actually play it. So there's like a harness, a belt harness at the front to stop it like rubbing up against my body. And it just looks yeah. like a, it's a belt on the front, so it just looks like my belt. Yeah. So there was a lot of different versions of the keyboard before it worked properly. But it looked <laughs> a bit like Dick Van Dyke or something, you know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely fantastic, though. Well, I look forward to seeing it live. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm going into Wicked for a year, so the chances of me seeing anything live are oh, none. Great. I'm sadly, but great. That's good, great. Are you looking forward to Wicked? Yeah, in a way, sort of, you know, like that thing where you go, I can't wait to do it. Oh, my God, I've got to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, obviously I don't have a, as long as a year. Well, I do I do a show for a year, I guess. Mm. Particularly when you're in Edinburgh, after about the, there's about four or five days where you're not quite sure and then you nail it. And then mm. it's like the last 10 days, you're like, I can't do this. I can't say this again. I can't, I can't <laughs> what? Again, there's nothing left now. I can't imagine what a year of Wicked. And you know, people who do the Les Mis for like, you know, they mm -hmm. do it for just decades or whatever it is. Yeah, there was a man who did Me and My Girl for the entire run of it. Oh my God. Which I think was about 16 years. Oh, wow. Mm. I can't imagine how that would have felt. No. <laughs> well, I guess it's no different from, I used to work in a shoe shop. Maybe it's no different from that, in which you're like, after a while, you just go, well, this is just my job, and at least I'm not working in a shoe shop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, quite. you know, not every artistic pursuit just because you're on stage doesn't mean it has to be like a creative pursuit. You're like, maybe it's just my job. Maybe I just maybe I sometimes feel that way, in which I'm just like, oh, you maybe your job is just to be a stand-up comedian, not to be in a Hollywood film. I met a Hollywood actor recently, and I was like, <laughs> that's why I'm not in films because <laughs> it's very clear. He's called Ed Screen. He was in the he was the bad guy in Deadpool, right. and I met him randomly at a gig. I was did a gig at this like hotel. And he was at the hotel and I met him and he was on a hoodie and he was just like very low key. And I saw him and I was like, oh my God, this guy is like, this guy should be in films. And he was like, oh, he is in, he is in films. I think it's so obvious when you see someone who's like a Hollywood good looking person, you're like, oh, you should. But then I'm like, for me, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be in film. Maybe I should just be stand up. <laughs> but I think every stand up is like, maybe we should, well, if I do, you know, do, I'm like, I don't think I'm meant to be. I don't know whether it goes one way or the other. Whether yeah. in fact being in the film then gives you that presence. Who knows? Maybe. Well, you'll find out when you do the film. Well, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. When I'm the new Ed Screen <laughs> in Deadpool. Yeah, playing a keyboard. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's put that into the time capsule as a fourth thing. Yeah. So all we've got, Huge, is we've got to put in something that you'd like to bury in there and never take out again. So nightclubs, I think. Nightclubs, yeah. Yeah, I would put all nightclubs into, into the time capsule. <laughs> Very good. I think that absolutely the worst thing you could do. Mm-hmm. I just hate them so much. I remember I, as a student, I went to them a lot. But because everyone would just do it, and yeah. there was no other option, really. Either you go to a nightclub or you stay in your flat and do drugs, I imagine. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. So we would go out. I actually started smoking because I hate nightclubs so much. Because I, I would go out yeah. of the nightclub. In order to get outside for a minute. Yeah, to the smoking area. So yes. Because that's where you, the only place you can talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I would go out there and I wouldn't be smoking. And it just felt like really weird that I was... I felt like a bit like strange out there. So I just... <laughs> I had to start smoking. A smoking pervert. Yeah. I just like to watch people. Yeah. And I would I would also not bring a lighter, so I had to ask someone for a lighter so that I could talk to them. Mm-hmm. Because I just find nightclubs the worst. I just hate them so much. It's so, like, the music is always bad. Not what yeah. you want. The, <laughs> the, the guys in there are just, everyone's behaving badly. You can't talk. There's a pool of drunk people. I don't really drink. And also I hate drunk people in general because they're always the people that ruin my evening. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing stand-up, guaranteed the drunkest person in the room will try and ruin the gig. So I'm already yeah. like feeling bad about that. I assume you're there to maybe like, when you're younger, you're there to like try and get with someone. But I think you do that via dancing. Yeah. I'm so bad at dancing that like, <laughs> I'd say like top five things to see me do and not get with me on a one night stand would be to watch me dance. Yes. Like I think. Weird, isn't it? Because in fact, you think the way that you would get with someone is by talking to them and then finding you attractive as a person because of what you've said to them. Well, that's what dating is, right? That's when mm-hmm. you go on a date and then you talk and then you find out common interests or whatever sense of humour is that. But <laughs> So in fact, you could only ever go out with people who smoked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Genuinely, like, uh, I actually went out with someone because we were outside a nightclub and she was like, do you hate this? And I was like, I hate this too. And then we just started going out. <laughs> it mm-hmm. has worked in the past, but yeah, I haven't been back to a nightclub in a very, very long time. I find them, I think, I almost think everyone's pretending. <laughs> it gets to the point where I'm like, you can't be enjoying it. You can't be enjoying it. No. It's just so expensive to be in there. That's the thing, isn't it? It's a cruel trick that's played on young people that, in fact, the only place they're supposed to go to socialise is somewhere where, first of all, they have to pay to get in. And then everything that they buy there is astonishingly expensive. Yeah. I think that everyone would agree that a good night in the pub is better than a good night in the nightclub. I think everyone would agree that. Mm. And I always see, like, the queue, because often when I'm coming back from a gig or whatever, particularly in central London, you're walking back, there are people in queues outside this place to get in. It's mm-hmm. like midnight, and you're like, this can't be the highlight of your week. When a queue, mm-hmm. just because you live in Britain doesn't mean you have to be so, you know. <laughs> like, you spend a whole week being in a queue for Pret-a-Manger, and then you spend your whole weekend being in a queue for this nightclub. And then you get in, and it's so expensive, and there's like a desperation to it. Like, everyone's sort of dancing, but sort of yeah. over each other's shoulders, being like, who will kiss me? Uh, whole thing is just a bit like, I just, I just hate it. It's a stinks of desperation. Yes. And every single girl thinking, I hope nobody puts something in my drink. Yeah. Uh, terrifying like, places. All the women there being like, we are pretty much going out for ourselves. We're going out in a big friend group. And all the guys there being like, can I intrude on that friend group? Can I, <laughs> can I be as leery as possible? Can mm-hmm. I be as loud as possible on the way home and to the place? I just, I hate nightclubs. I don't think, I, I, I mean, maybe they will last. 
it's a bit like, you know, you, you couldn't imagine that people would stop watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> people have kind of stopped watching TV. Mm-hmm, they have. Like, well, maybe nightclubs will also go. The idea of sitting down and watching television is, is fading away. Yeah. I think it was like quite difficult for me because the trajectory that comedians normally have is you go to Edinburgh, you do well, you get a TV show, you do the punch, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's very difficult to like readjust it. You go, well, people don't really respond into that anymore. That's something. So like your phone is your TV. Mm. And I think it took me quite a while to like sort of adjust to that and be okay with it and be like, yeah. Oh, you can you can do your own things on there. Um, they don't have to be undignified because a lot of stuff you look at it and you're like, that is bleak. <laughs> if, <laughs> if that's what show business has become, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, so it takes you quite a while to adjust and be like, oh, it's just it's just a TV but horizontal, and you can make your own things now mm. and stuff. But it's like um, it took me like a few years to really come about and be like to engage with it. I imagine. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take nightclubs and definitely shove them into the time capsule and forget about them. In my time, they were places where you went to try to publicise things. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you had a record out or something like that, you would perform at a nightclub. And the last thing that people want in a nightclub where they're trying to pick people up is to suddenly stop and watch people perform on a stage. They were always the most awful, awful gigs. That's how I feel like corporate. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> interrupting people's dinners to, <laughs> to talk about head, shoulders, knees and toes and the nuances of ice cream drunk music. Like, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, it, I shouldn't be here. And <laughs> yeah. uh, There's something very funny about that, though. Yeah. You standing up there, getting them all to sing head, shoulders, knees and toes. It's a brilliant idea. Yeah, and then it's just loads of people who are like very high in business, I imagine, mm. at the height of their game, having a lunch with their colleagues. <laughs> The one night off, and they've got to suddenly listen to this strange man they've never seen before wearing a keyboard. <laughs> doing nursery rhymes. Yeah. I can imagine. When I do corporates, they always hate it. And I'm like, and why wouldn't you? Yes. I'm, I'm there with them. I go, I hate it too. Where, you know, I've been, I've been employed by you. It's your fault for employing me. And yep. yeah. <laughs> oh, huge. What a lovely thing to do to talk to you. I've had a really enjoyable morning. Thank you very much. Me too. Thanks for having me on. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, the man with the 100-day cough, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Huge Davis. Fun, wasn't it? I asked that because if you thought it was, then do let others know by rating this podcast and maybe even leaving a comment or a whole review. Wow, imagine that. I mean, like a well-prepared fireplace, we'd be most grateful. Do join me in my time capsule on social media. We're easy to find there and then hard to lose. Feel free to message us about the podcast or any other things you think will be of interest. If you'd like to download the Pass the Peas music composed and performed theme tune to my time capsule, then you can find it on Spotify, as with most things, uh, except for your car keys. And if you're not keen on ads in the middle or beginning or even end of your podcast, then you can get this one ad-free if you subscribe to Acast+. Plus. Details in the written description. This cast-off production was produced for your enjoyment and for Acast by John Fenton Stevens. And that's it. Have a lovely week and I'll see you soon but I hope I'll be a lot better. I'll leave you with a joke by Greg Jenner that he says doesn't get a laugh. Well, sounds like most of mine so see what you think. Fly me to the moon let me play among the stars. Frank Sinatra. Can I borrow your spaceship? I can't tell you more. Evasive Sinatra. Yep. Silence. 
Oh, well, bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 